This podcast is brought to you by Lanco Group, your business partner for engineering solutions. You are listening to FNR Football Nation Radio. Hello, welcome to the English Football Show right here on FNR Football Nation Radio, your voice of football in Australia and around the world. I'm Christopher Chrysostomoon, alongside me today is Mitch Keating and Tim Spurliotis has returned from his week away from us. Boys, we're all weary to hide. It's uh, early morning, late nights in the par- over the past few days. And cold as well. Cold as Very well. Cold. I think we need a coffee. Yeah, yeah oh, mate, they've been keeping me up for the last few nights. I've been very My best friend, the coffee's the last... The last uh, weekend, but um, yeah, like you said, um, action-packed uh, show today. Obviously, we got massive reviews for the three EFL finals, um, Champions League and Europa League right around the corner. So uh, yeah, the sleep uh, deprivation isn't over just yet for us, I guess. Yeah, some big matches coming up uh, in the next few days. We've got the Europa League final we'll preview and the Champions League Champions League. We'll also pre- uh, review all of the EFL finals. Some great games, uh, tight finishes, and well, most of the goals came from crosses in the end. But uh, let's begin with the big game last night or in the morning, and that was Aston Villa's one a two-one victory over Derby County. Aston Villa, after three seasons in the EFL, returned to the Premier League, uh, led by Jack Grealish and Dean Smith. They have now returned to the Premier League and won that $180 million game. Yeah, it's it's the most lucrative uh, single game in, in all of fo- uh, world football, you'd say. Um, yeah, Obviously, the massive amount of revenue that comes through with TV deals in the in the Premier League um, for each club involved. So, yeah, massive, obviously, for Villa. Um, what's it there? In their three absence, <coughs> pardon me, since leaving the, the Premier League. Um, and look, yeah, they were the, the stronger outfit between I think all four sides heading into the finals with obviously the form and the that 10 win run that they were on um and yeah look it's credit to Dean Smith Jack Grealish like you said two obviously their boyhood clubs as well so very happy for those two to to, to lead their side back into the Premier League well they'll 12th in March and they were 10 <coughs> points off the or eight points off the top six and from that moment on they won 10 games in a row finished fifth after the regular season and were the informed side, uh, even though they did finish fifth below West Brom and Leeds United, we built, we all thought that they would be the ones to get promoted. They got they had such a strong uh, championship side. Uh, they were leaky in defence at the start of the season, but once they brought in Steer as their goalkeeper, he steered them to the champion to the playoff final. He just couldn't resist that one, could <laughs> no. you? Um, it, well, better than Nyland. We know how Nyland was playing before that, and. With Tyron Mings and Axel Twinzabi at the centre centre back partnership, they they were resilient in the end and held teams to under to a goal or less than a goal a game. Yeah, exactly. We we the the move were Dean Smith taking over from Steve Bruce feels like so long ago. I think it was what October now, and and uh, I was one that certainly questioned the uh, the decision made um, by 
the ownership at, at Villa and, and the chairman and the, and the board. And I thought that Bruce was probably a bit hard done by. But um, obviously, look, what they've done since then um, has been fantastic. You talk about when Smith started, they were on this roll and it kind of dropped off. And they, they thought it was just that little honeymoon stage. But um, they picked up after that January transfer window, got Steer back um, from Charlton. They, they yeah, fantastic while in signing Mings from Bournemouth. Uh, I thought Courtney House, another one who... Featured late into yesterday's game as well was was fantastic in their defence for them. Twins Abbey, like you said, stepped up in the second half of the year because um, we knew that once uh, Smith arrived, that the defence was something that they really needed to to um, add to, and they and they did, and they did fantastically well, and that's why they've gotten to where they are. I remember the fin- financial restraints that they had on the club at the start of the season; they couldn't bring any players in, and they were starting at the start of the season. Their defence was uh, Al Mohammadi. Chester, Yedinak and Alan Hutton, an average age of over 30 years old. And by the end of the season, bringing in Tyron Mings, that was a big play by them. Uh, always had that potential at Bournemouth, but never delivered. But he, him stepping into that centre-back partnership with Tuan Zabi settled everything down. Plus Al uh, on the at, at right-back and even ta- uh, Taylor on the left. It was just a, a perfect partnership for them. Moving up the field as well, John McGinn, what an incredible player he has been this season. Only $2.5 million they paid for him. He's got to go down as one of the best transfers of the year. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's, he's certainly in that top five aspect of, of, of those recruits for this season. And, and yeah, he's been probably the most consistent for Villa in midfield all season, especially with Grealish's absence for a majority of the year. Um, he was certainly, yeah, they're, they're, they're rocking that central midfield. And, um, yeah, once again, I think I thought yesterday he was he was fantastic, stood up. Grealish probably didn't have his best game. Hurahan missing in some aspects. But, yeah, McGinn um, was just showing why, yeah, he probably does deserve um, a label as one of the best pickups in the championship uh, for the year. Um, yeah, I think that uh, from, from the, the, like you said, that transition from defence to uh, attack for Villa yesterday was was fantastic, um, and they, look, it was a, it wasn't probably their, their best game that they've had in the, in the last few months. But um, look, they they just were resilient, and yeah, I thought they deserved the win coming into the ninety. They probably didn't play at their best through throughout <coughs> the playoff matches, and that's that's the good thing about for them is that still not playing at their best, and they were able to get promoted. Uh, Tim, what do you expect to happen in the off-season for Aston Villa? Do you expect to, them to retain most of these players or will they go and spend big in the off-season? It's a tough one because of the big payday that has come. I expect them to buy some players, some important Premier League standard players. I don't expect them to go full out and overhaul their whole squad. They'll retain some players, but with all the money they have gotten, I reckon they'll bring some in. Well, I don't want to go full Fulham, <laughs> so to say, because we saw what happened to Fulham after they spent $100 million in the off-season and they struggled this campaign. But there are holes in this Aston Villa side that will need to be fixed and resolved. Mings will... I, I, I'm sure they'll try and purchase Mings and retain him. I can't see him playing a start in, at Bournemouth. Two and Zabies, are, it's a tricky one because United fans want him back at Manchester United and Ole may want to keep him because he does have talent. And Yednak as well, I I think they might even keep him just for his Premier League experience, even though he's a bit old, but he's not extremely old. He has that experience that can help uh, the rest of the squad deliver. Well, he said, I read an article this week, and he said he wants to stay at Aston Villa. He wants to play Premier League football uh, for his kids to see him play Premier League football before he retires, which it would be good to see him there. But I don't know how many games he would get. And then, of course, you've got Tammy Abraham. Will they be able to keep hold of him, or will Chelsea... Give him his opportunity next season. Twenty-four goals for the twenty-six goals for the campaign, 
Uh, he was a bit quiet in this match, but still, it, Tammy Abraham's one of the best strikers in the championship. Yeah, this he, he's proved over the last two seasons with that loan to Bristol um, was really his breakout season um, in English football. And yeah, fantastic again for Villa. I don't see um, them being able to, to, to have his signature in next season if this... Uh, you know, Chelsea transfer ban is really going ahead and, and, and does stick fat. So, um, yeah, I would, wouldn't see um, him leaving Stamford Bridge if that is the case. Uh, as for Yedinak, um I think he might, if he if he's able to, uh, wait out another another season with, at Villa Park. Um, you know, there's rumours that he could join the new MacArthur group in the A-League, which will take place in the 2020 season. So he's got another year um, if that is to come to fruition. So, um, yeah, look, they've got a, they've, they're going to have a few... Big names that they're going to have to keep on. I think Twinsaby is probably the perfect fit for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at United. The rebuild, the, they need this defence strength to um, be rejuvenated. So he'll leadership probably... as well. We've got to remember he was the the captain of the under twenty three side. So there's leadership there with Twinsaby. There you go. And then I think Mings is probably the the obvious one that they'll certainly push the hardest after. Um, now that I think. They'll be able to hold Grealish. He'll be happy to play with Filler in the in the Premier League once again. Um, and yeah, look as 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 for the match yesterday, um, it was a group like you said that probably yeah didn't play their best throughout the game, but um, but just had the had the moments that they really needed. I thought Al Mahamadi was was fantastic. Al Ghazi really threatening in that first half and deserving of the goal. Um, and then as for the the second goal, the McGinn goal or the the Ruse Howler, if you will, um, that's just. A part of football, I guess it was. Yeah, I think that Carson Scott Carson was unlucky not to. To I mean, we know that Ruse is this um, underdeveloped keeper, but he certainly was has been in their best eleven for for a while now. So that was a hard decision to make for Frank Lampard. I, th- I thought he was going to stick with Ruse, and um, you can't say that Carson would have made the same mistake. But um, just yeah, it just shows that a little bit of inexperience from a young goalkeeper. Was there, was there a little bit of inexperience shown by Frank Lampard as well as a manager but with some of his uh, lineup selections? Marriott not starting again, even though he scored twice against Leeds United. Was that an error? And if he had his time again, would he have played Marriott from the start? Yeah, I think Lampard was probably a bit naive with, with how he did start. Um, look, the option was that he didn't go with any focal point in that attacking game and in, in, in that front third. And I certainly did cost him early. Um, they just didn't look like they had any options up front. Um, and look, uh, when well, yeah, you talk about <coughs> the three subs that came on, Marriott, Waghorn and Joseph Zoon, um, were, yeah, I think they were all fantastic, played their role and, and it shows why that Derby were, were the more dominant side in that last, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought Waghorn really gave, um, the, the Mings before he was subbed off and, and Twin headaches, um, trying to get behind the back and yeah, for Lampard, it probably it wasn't necessarily inexperienced for him, but look, he's, he, you're trying to find this balance in the backing, and I think what we saw against Leeds was was um, that Marriott was able to come on as a super sub, and they have got this this helpful depth and 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 balance in the side where they can really put in two uh, strong outfits of eleven on either on either side of half time. So, yeah, look, probably yeah, just a bit like I said, a bit naive from Lampard, but like he will learn from this. He's still a young coach, and I thought he had a fantastic effort to get to Derby to where they were. Um, but the the side that that showed up yesterday was probably a side that that we've seen throughout the whole season where we thought they're probably not deserving of a top six spot. They got there in the end with, with a few great performances, but when you compare them to, I think, Bristol City, Middlesbrough, they probably were just outside of the top six best teams this year. Oh, I think Lampard's done a fantastic job at Derby this season with the squad that he's had at his disposal and plus the young players that he's brought in. Uh, Mason Mount and Harry Wilson, both of them not experienced senior footballers, but 
by them two going to Derby, they've single-handedly helped them into those uh, the playoff spots. The one area that I was disappointed with with Derby was their lack of attack in the first half. There was periods where they had opportunities to uh, counter-attack Aston Villa, but they were too slow to do that. There was one where Huddleston had the ball, and he, I'm pretty sure he had Wilson on the right, which he could have just passed it to him, and then they, they could have been a one-on-one down the right flank. But instead, he retained possession and waited for his wingers and his fullbacks to push forward. And that just that was the sign of Derby not taking the game to Aston Villa. And that was probably the, the problem with Frank Lampard's uh, team selection. It was he, he made a team or he selected a team that was going to counter Aston Villa. It, it wasn't a team that was going to win on their merit. It was going to win from Aston Villa mistakes and by countering them. And that's the one area I think Lampard should have been more productive in instead of waiting for Villa uh, to make errors. There was the players that we all expected to shine in this game. I don't think any of them were outstanding. We had Jack Grealish was the, the talk of the town leading up to this game, whether he could recapture his form from the last year's playoff final. Uh, he was disappointing, same as Tammy Abraham. I think he only had four touches, four, four passes I in the game. I saw him. Um, it was obviously well done by Tamori and Keo in, in, in defence, but, um, yeah, they they were able to keep up with him. I thought Tamori was a fantastic match for them, um, and that was that's obviously something Chelsea fans want to see, two of their youngest um, on loan, um, battling it out. And like we said, this was going to be a Chelsea derby in a way. Um, but, yeah, I thought that Abraham... Didn't didn't really step up in the big <coughs> in the big game. Sorry, but um, yeah, look, he's going to have a bad game. Luckily, there's a few around him that did step up. And on the other side uh, for Derby, Harry Wilson and Mason Mount were the two players that we expected to shine, and both of them were disappointing. Harry Wilson's free kicks weren't as accurate as we expected from him. Mason Mount was quiet for seventy minutes. Yeah, I think that um, I'm not saying it's it's an unfair. Um, uh, I guess the, the amount of pressure that these guys get put on because they are quite young, but this has been what we have expected from them all season. We wouldn't be, you know, asking for asking for this much if if they had um, been playing at yeah, you know, how an average footballer would at their age. But no, they've they've su- surpassed all expectations this season under Derby. It'll be interesting to see how Derby move on into next season in the Championship if they're able to to like, obviously a lot of the group is this young on loan group. They've got Bogle permanent, but like you said, uh, Wilson Mount. Memorial on loan. Um, you'd hope they'll hold on to Marriott. Um, look, they've got a strong group. I think they'll they'll push for a top six again, especially if Lampard is still with Derby. I'm, I'm going to assume he, he will be. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how their off-season move goes, replacing those players because I don't think they'll be too keen to to stay in the championship once again if they've got you know Premier League options available for like Wilson, Mountain, and even Tomori. Were Villa slow to react to Derby's attack in the, the last 20 minutes because it was seen, there was areas there where when it was still 2-0, uh, you could tell that Derby were pushing and it looked likely they would score. Do you think that they could have put maybe put on a Yedinak to try and compose that defensive lineup? Yeah, I think that um, it, that, that momentum just looked unstoppable. Um, in, in the, in the, even in the pre-match, um, the Derby fans were just so much louder and I thought that that was going, was going to play a massive um, role. And it, and it did, well, certainly when they, they did start looking like the better side. Um, and yeah, look, I think that uh, Dean Smith's he still had an extra substitution to use. He only used two for the game, and I think he probably didn't want to have to use take Mings off. Obviously, the injury forced him into bringing House on. But um, yeah, someone like Yedinak pulling in, um, maybe just removing that focal point up front in Abraham could have could have been um, a, a different move. But then they, then they have no, nothing to push up forward. So it was certainly a tough situation for Smith. Luckily, they held on. 
but it certainly could have gone to extra time. I thought that yeah, Derby had one or two more chances that certainly could end up in the back of the net. Let's talk about now the three teams that have secured promotion to the Premier League for next season. Norwich, uh, Sheffield United, sorry, and Aston Villa. Those three lineups. what do we expect them to bring to the Premier League next year? And can they uh, stay up in their first season? Uh, well, this season we had Wolves come into the Premier League and perform above expectations. After they're they're an outlier, though, because they've got the yeah. backing and they've got... Yeah. Jorge Mendes bringing in his his yeah. players. Well, next season's version will be Norwich who finish top. So in terms of them doing the same, I can't see it. I can see Norwich probably finishing mid-table. What about you guys? Yeah, I, th- I think that um, the, the league they're coming into, I think there's probably a few sides that could certainly drop out um, in their place. I think that Brighton um, were pretty lucky to, to remain that, they, that, that there were three worst sides this season. Southampton, another one that... Um, look, they've got a, a, a better manager to start next year, but um, yeah, I think they're, they're every chance as well to, to drop back down to the championship. As for the three coming up, um, yeah, it depends who Villa can hold on to. Uh, I know that they'll have a great backing from their owners uh, once again, and they'll splash a fair bit of, of money in the off season. But um, like we said, we don't want to see what happened to Fulham once again. Um, it's a great chance of happening, unfortunately, in football these days. Um, as for Norwich and, and Sheffield, I think Sheffield are going to be the, the side that's going to finish the highest between them. Um, I think that from what I'm hearing, that is that Manchester United will sign Dean Henderson to a new contract, but then loan him out again to, to uh, Sheffield United, which will be massive for them. Um, they've, they've got a great manager in Chris Wilder, um, and they're, they're, they're going to bring this new tactical game set and and game play to the Premier League, which I think is going to going to really um, give them the best effort to, to finish outside the relegation. And as for Norwich, exciting team. Um, not a lot of obviously top tier um, uh, football in them, uh, and it will it'll be interesting to see how their their young players can really step up and go to another level um, next season. But yeah, with they're going to have to make one or two big signings. I think they're still a, a, a step away. They didn't finish on top, and they're, they're every chance of avoiding relegation. But at the moment, I think Sheffield are the, are the best side to uh, remain. Yeah, I feel that way as well, especially with Astonville. I think they're the team that would need to uh, bring in the most players in the off-season because we know that their two uh, centre-backs were both on loan. One will probably likely stay. They also need to uh, fix up those full-back positions, Maybe another goalkeeper steal is good, but is he Premier League quality? I'm not sure. Defensive midfield is an area where they definitely need to bring in, bring someone in because the two CDMs that they do have, England Willen and Milo Yedinak, aren't getting any younger. Striker if Tammy Abraham does depart as well and maybe two more um, another winger. Yeah, Al Ghazi out as well is, will be massive for them. Um, They'll probably keep Al Ghazi. I would like to see them them push on for him. I don't think he's a starting winger, obviously in the Premier League though. And and Sam, when you you mentioned that the centre defensive midfield positions, um, I'd like to see them. Yeah, certainly put money into that, into their defensive strengths. Um, Hurahan probably another a bench rotation player for them. I, I would have thought in the Premier League. So, um, yeah, they're certainly going to have to spend a lot. And like we said, like, it's going to go one way or the other for Villa. And I'm, I'm, we're hoping they stay up, but three have to come down, and I, I think they might just be one of them at the moment. Let's move to League One and Charlton had a 2-1 victory over Sunderland. Uh, Netflix will be happy with that result, I'm, I assume, because it's, it's the fitting ending to Sunderland till I die uh, for Netflix. But Charlton's 2-1 victory over Sunderland condemns them to, a, to another season in League One. 
while Charlton, with all their off-field issues, move up. That's a brilliant by Lee, Lee Boyer. Yeah, no, absolutely fantastic. Peter Harding came out and said that it's great for a club that's always seems to get the, a bad deal out of football. Um, and yeah, we, we talk about the, the off-field issues that they've had and they've probably been had one of the, the big adversities this season. You, you can talk about Sheffield United as well, um, Bury as well, those three all getting promotion, um, which is, yeah, fantastic for football and, and just shows that, you know, it does really matter what happens on the pitch um, as much as there can be, you know, this, 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 these ongoing problems above management. Um, yeah, they, they all, th- all three of those sides were fantastic in Charlton, namely, um, yeah, just very a, a perfect run to, towards the end of the season, found great form and... and it, um, and I think that while Sunderland, you know, you can talk about on paper, probably should have gone up probably automatically if it wasn't for their poor run in the, in the, in the last couple of months. Um, but yeah, like Charlton, they're, they're that best out of out of those top, the all the remaining sides. Um, yeah, and they've done fantastically well to get up. There's plenty to discuss about Char- uh, about Sunderland, but let's talk about the game first in Charlton. It was probably the most frenetic ten minutes I've seen ever in a final with uh, Dylan Phillips's howler gifting Sunderland the lead. And then Chris, uh, Max Power coming off with an injury after the nine first minutes. nine minutes. Well, he injured in the first and then and then carried on and then, yeah, couldn't get much past the ninth minute. So, and that, yeah, I think that was, that's hasn't been the biggest talk, as big of a talking point as I thought it would be. That It forced uh, Honeyman into, into a central position because they brought Marsh, March on. Um, and yeah, that they just, they just didn't look comfortable um, in that sense. And throughout the whole game, that they're central centrally um, in midfield. They just couldn't create at all. I thought Catamol lead bit up really should have done a lot better. Um, and then, yeah, they, they did try and force themselves out on that right wing with March. Um, Honeyman once again pushing out to that side um, and Oneen as well. But yeah, look, for, 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 for Sunderland, um, I think the best chances came right after that howler as well um, between Phillips and Saar where... Where they've gone straight down, Charlton looked like they were, you know, it was sho- shocked, and I think that's where in the, in the ten to fifteen after that, that was when Sunderland really had a great chance to pounce and extend their lead, couldn't do so, and and I think it definitely cost them. Um, but having that one substitute down uh, very early into the game as well certainly limited Jack Ross's um, choices. McGeady, I thought was always going to come on if he's named on the bench, he was always going to come on, and he definitely didn't look fit, couldn't create, wasn't the same player who we've seen who I thought was probably the best player in League One for the whole season. So that was disappointing um, that he was rushed in, but I think that was just a move that they had to make at the time. Yep. Charlton were by far the better team in this game. Sunderland <laughs> couldn't put two passes together, and I guess it's been an issue all season for them. They lack creativity in the middle of, of the field. Uh, that's why they, they focus on that wing play. But Ben Perrin equalised for Charlton in the 35th minute before Patrick <coughs> Boyer... Scored the winner in the 94th yeah. minute. Amazing it's, scenes. Amazing scenes. But before that, there was the, the kid in the crowd <coughs> doing his cross. And uh, <laughs> and then, I guess, God listened and, and they scored the winner, Charlton. Yeah. And they're back into the championship now. Uh, they haven't made the Premier League since the 2006-07 season, I think it was. So they are a good chance to uh, get promoted again and... It's good to see because they were a Premier League team when we were younger, so it's a bit of nostalgia as well. So hopefully they can back it up next year as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think Wally Boyer came out and said that after you know the, the performance that they put on today, that they're going to be a lot more attractive to these to the buyers that where that is that vacancy for them. Um, and I, that's absolutely right. You know, a side that's in the championship, 
that has that void in ownership is, is going to be massive for, for anyone interested. Um, but yeah, look, they came out and just, yeah, they dominated through, through midfield. I thought Cullen was, was Cullen or <coughs> Bialik, sorry, um, were probably the, the two best for them. Um, and yeah, once they, like we said in the preview as well, that Bialik, we didn't know where he was going to start, whether that's in defense or um, in through midfield, but um, started in a back three as well, which is probably something he hasn't done too often. And, Absolutely starred for them, and Cullen, then he did move into midfield after. Yeah, afterwards, obviously, when they when they they brought in Pierce for, for Saar, and then and they managed to change a few things around, and yeah, Boy did it fantastically. I think it was well timed, and, and joining Cullen in midfield, who was really controlling in 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 uh, that, that first forty five, and and yeah, look, I think for Charlton in, in that first goal, especially on that right side, uh, was it Taylor? Um, Aribo and, and Dyke Steele just linked up perfectly. It was a beautiful thing to see. And then that cross from, from Taylor, which we've seen all season, more of a trademark, if anything, that, um, yeah, just a fantastic ball in for, for the equaliser. And, and then on out, um, they just looked like the, the side that were really going to take it out. And yeah, the Bauer, 94th minute, the last kick of the day. Um, yeah, you, you couldn't ask for a better moment for the Addicts. Johnny Williams added a spark as well once he came on. The man that was probably the lead star in Sunderland till I die. Uh, perfect ending for him as well. But uh, he came on and he, he brought a little bit of exuberance onto the field. And there was the – I haven't seen a play foul that many times after coming on off the bench. It, so much um, creativity that he brought on that you could tell Sunderland were, were worried by his pace and his skill and they kept fouling him every time he got the ball. Yeah, exactly right. I thought he was he was probably one of the best subs to come on um, for them in, in throughout the whole playoffs. Um it's funny you just say that you know he was trying to keep um, Sunderland in in the championship last season and and on well the other day he's, he's trying to keep him out of the championship and he and yeah he did a fantastic job against his former side um, just one of those players that you can always rely on and he's is always a main talking point because um, he has battled through a lot of injury and and when he does play he does give his heart out so it was fantastic for him um, and yeah Lee Boyer was absolutely wrapped with his performance and and played the, the exact role that he needed um, in this final. Yeah, I read an art- I read an article that uh, Boyer, once he retired football, he went to France and he was basically just fishing uh, around f- France until he got a phone call from Harry Kuehl asking him to uh, help out with the Watford Academy. And from that that moment on, he's taken up coaching and now at Charlton Athletic, he's a he's a coach, a young coach that I could see moving up the divisions in uh, in no time. I could see him in the Premier League. His uh, his ability to change games. Mid game is something that a lot of coaches struggle to do, and he he knows when his team aren't performing to their best, and he will change formations if he needs to. Uh, Sunderland, on the other hand, Jack Ross admitted that he failed, didn't make reach expectations this year, should have got promotion with the squad that he had on his, at his disposal. They lack the attacking spark, and they're not strong defensively. That's an issue for Sunderland, and if you can't. Do do any of those, and you're going to struggle, aren't you? Yeah, well, yeah. I think that you know the the money they put in um, as well with the, the the biggest or the most expensive signing in, in League One football for Will Grigg obviously has not delivered. Um, he'll obviously remain at the club. I would have thought for next season, and he has a lot to to pay back for them. And I and I, I wouldn't stamp out that he could certainly end up in the in the top five for goal scoring for the Black Cats. Um, in the in the in League One next season, but yeah, like Ross said that you know with when you when you have to deal with the, you know, the adversity in football um, and, and, and you have to deal with you know, heartbreak, and it is good if you, can, if you are able to move forward um, from this. And they said that you can't just you know, enjoy things when they're going well and not be able to deal with them when, when they do 
uh, turned quite bad, which they have for Sunderland, unfortunately, this season. So, look, <coughs> I think that Ross will, will remain on. I'd like to see him remain on because um, they have had a, a few problems with, with managers and, and quickly changing managers over the last few seasons. Um, and I think he's the man, if, if anything, um, to, to, to keep them or get them into the championship. I think they'll head or start the, the season, or as of today, probably favourites. Um, to take out the title. So it's, it's fantastic for them because the three sides that are coming down probably aren't the strongest uh, or in the strongest positions. So um, look, they're in a great position at the moment and certainly need to keep their heads up, which is what Ross is really um, trying to get um, going around at the club at the moment. The easy way out would be if they decided to get rid of Jack Ross, but I think that he, they need to keep him there. They need to keep a manager for more than one season. They haven't been able to do that for... God knows how long, probably since Roy, the Roy Keane days, or the, uh, Steve Bruce days, sorry. But uh, just they need, they need to find someone, an, an attacker that will score goals plus create for others. If you look at their, their, their total of goals scored by players, Josh Mudger, 15 goals, and he left in January. Then you've got Ada McGeady on 12, Chris McGuire on 8, and then after that's Lee Catamar on 7. Prior to this season, he, he, he never scored more than one goal in the season in a campaign. So they need to find someone there that can attack, score, and then create. And it was weird as well seeing Will Grigg. He came on in this match and he played on the right, the right tracking back after once he got subbed on, and that's not a position Will Grigg could play in. Um, even in defence, they need to get two centre-backs with quality. Oz Turk was good in the playoffs, but he struggled all season. Same as Flanagan. It's an area that they need to work on. Yeah, exactly. I think that they're not the, the, the two... Halfbacks that they really want to be starting, especially I think match day one next season. Um, you, you reflect on on the weekend's game, and they they have they have some positive. I think Oviedo and and Onin. Will they uh, still keep Oviedo because he's on a lot of money? I don't. It, I wouldn't be surprised if they try and move him on just because of the contract. Look, he's been a great player for them, but when you're a club in League One and, and, you, and you are trying to balance out these fees, and there's there's a lot of money involved um, in 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 tough times. So, look, if they can move him on, I think they'd, they'd certainly choose the option too. But, like, they'd love to have a player of his calibre remain at the club in League One. Um, you know, when you talk about like, Will Griggs' performance, he had that, there was that awkward 10 minutes when him and Wyk were both on before uh, Wyk was replaced by McGeady. I just thought that Ross probably didn't time those substitutions too well because they just didn't look like they had any effort or had any chance of scoring while those two were up front. Well, like you said, Grigg pushed out wide. So... That was probably the, a, a big problem for Ross, but like you said, like we said earlier, the, the Max Power injury was certainly had a, a bigger influence on this game than I think a lot of people um, care to remember. I think in the long run, this could this could be better for Sunderland than get getting promotion because if they did get promotion, the players that they got their their wages would go up, it would increase. So Lee Catamont <coughs> would be getting similar to what he was earning last year, and that's probably over forty k a week, same as Oviedo. So now they've got another season to create, to build a championship squad. If they can get rid of these players that are on a lot of money, bring in championship players, and they'll be better next season. It's probably going to be an easier league next year as well. If they can get promoted back to the championship, and that will keep them up. Because I've, even if they did get promoted, I reckon they would have struggled next season, and they probably would have been relegated again because they wouldn't have been able to bring in a lot of players with, with the wage, wage uh, structure as it is now. So I think in the end... Maybe league one football for two years is better than going back into the championship. Well, you'd certainly look at the the, the twenty four championship sides next season is going to be a tough, long season in in that in that second tier. Um, and you, you certainly could be right. This could be just be one of those 
one of those uh, little little um, limps in their rejuvenation. Look, I thought that straight after the game, it just felt like a relegation again for Sunderland, something that the fans know far too well in recent years. And um, yeah, this could just be you know that extra kick behind that, that is going to get them back up in top tier at some point. They they are a Premier League club deservingly, um, and they'll, they'll get there soon. But um, yeah, they, they they do just need to have some of these hardships and face some of these adversities on on the trip back. We'll move on to League Two, and Tramie had a one-nil victory over Newport. They have now up into League One, uh, the third team on Merseyside, Tramia Rovers. Connor Jennings scored the winner in the 119th minute. We all, well, you and me, Mitch, we said last week that this would probably go to penalties. Both sides struggle to score more than one goal in a game, but Connor Jennings with the last last kick of the match. And it's a good story as well because this time last year he was actually in a coma and now scoring a goal for Tramia Rovers in the final. It's an incredible turnaround. Well, the, another thing that actually came out, I think Mickey Mellon revealed that his grandfather had actually died in the build-up to the playoffs. He hadn't told any of the playing group or coaches, um, played out against Forest Green and and he revealed to, to, to the club later on. And so that just shows the heart that he's playing, that he's putting his football... Um, um, not necessarily above family at any point, but um, he's just you know, showing a lot of heart for this club. And, <coughs> and like Mal said, it was fantastic to see a player, um, if he could pick one to score that winner for them. Um, yeah, the, a penultimate minute, you know, 119th. It doesn't get too much more cliche for a, for a good story for one side. But, um, yeah, look, back-to-back promotions, um, been fantastic for them. Um, look, it was pretty... Poor game, I think, overall. Um, if we went to penalties, it probably would have just only had that little bit of excitement. But, yeah, look, Jennings, um, fantastic late goal. Um, and, yeah, for, for the Rovers and, and even for Newport, this was this was um, a fantastic campaign, campaign by both. I think they were both underdogs, obviously, coming in. Newport's form late into the season was certainly a massive factor in them getting into the final. But um, there are like, a lot of positives for both sides. And, and Tranmere, uh, League One football... Um, I, I think they're going to have to make a few moves as well. Um, we know Norwood can certainly score, but there's a few other options throughout midfield that I think they need to just add to if they are to stay up in uh, League One next season. I said that, I said last week Jack Caprice will be key in this match, and I was right. The right back move forward. He's the one that whipped the cross in for Jennings to score the winner. A uh, player that we saw come on, Steve McNulty. He's 35, but he looks 60. Um, he's a behemoth of a man, absolutely <coughs> massive. Lucky he's not a striker because his gut would be offside. He's a unit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was good to see him on the field. He's, he's it looks a bit like Steve Bruce. Uh, <laughs> um, but it was good to see him on the field. And Tranmere, there was a good article in The Guardian um, about Tranmere and uh, the struggles that they've had in recent years. But with their new owner, they've create that community feel to the club. And they've, they've got a big vision for the club. And they're uh, working with uh, Asia and uh, I'm pretty sure America as well, trying to get more revenue into the team. And they might even uh, move stadiums just so they can rejuvenate the area of Tranmere. Um, so there are big, big things happening at Tranmere. And we, we could see them in, maybe in the championship in a couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the, what the, the recent story has been fantastic. Um, you know, a five-year absence now over for League One, and three of those years were spent in non-league. So, uh, yeah, this is this has been a, a great <coughs> effort by the whole club, not just the playing group and coaches, but but the town as well. Um, and yeah, like they, like they said, they've got a long way to go. Um, and 
and reflecting on the match, um, like we said before, that th- these guys probably weren't looking at um, promotion very late into the season. They've done very well to get to where they were. Um, and certainly knocking off Forest Green was a tough competition. Uh, Mansfield obviously being removed by Newport was was huge as well. But they did struggle in this one a little bit. I thought that when, especially when O'Brien was red carded, that they didn't really adapt um, their game plan too much, and it still looked like a level playing field. But they got that 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 winner in the end, and it was yeah, like you said, you could see what it was massive for this for this um, for this town. Very attacking game as well. Uh, Newport had twenty two shots. The Tremere's twenty three. Yeah, it's a lot. A lot of shots. Uh, James Norwood, a man who, who nearly won the game for Tremere in regular time. Uh, he uh, is out of contract and there's talks at Ipswich Town, one in which we mentioned last week. But it'll be key for Tremere if they can keep hold of Norwood uh, in his first season in in the Football League. <coughs> 32 goals he ended with and he's a player that they will need to keep hold of if they want to retain their spot in League One next year. But now with all of the EFL playoff finals done and dusted with the season over, we've come up with our rolling 11, or well not a rolling 11, but just a, a, a <laughs> team of the playoffs. Team of the playoffs, that's what it is. And a team of the playoffs, which, Mitch, where do you want to start off? Do you want to start off with the goalkeeper? We'll start off with the back. Um, Jed Steer was fantastic for them. You, you can talk about the, the first leg where um, a few massive moments against West Brom, but, but more highlighted in, in that second leg with a few penalty saves. Um, and look, he's he's just been this this fantastic player for them when he was really a, a third string. Watt Charlton and and when he joined back, you thought he might be the third string behind a Nyland and a Kalinich, but um, no, he's been fantastic for them. No one could be behind Nyland. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, yeah, fantastic for them, and, and just um, especially laid on into yesterday's game with there's a few crosses at, towards the back post. A lot of Derby players under it, but um, just read it so well, and, and yeah, had a, a fantastic final to add to a fantastic campaign. And at right back, we've got Caprice uh, always attacking down that right flank. And next to him, we have Bilic and Dimitriou as our two centre-backs. Dimitriou uh, with his giant throw-ins. Oh, uh, threatening. It was just chaos ball for them. I, I didn't know how Tranmere had, had had looked too much into it. I hadn't, didn't actually know. It was, it was a massive arsenal in his game. And, and it was certainly something that <laughs> that uh, Newport and little Flynn had, had, had certainly wanted to, to, to put into this game. And it... Yeah, it certainly created a lot of chances. Um, but, yeah, he, he had a fantastic well game for all of them in defence. Um, and and Billick as well, strong for Charlton all campaign. Uh, deserving of that spot. Yeah, I think man of the match in the final probably. Um, and, yeah, just showed that his, his flexibility to play um, under Boa um, in both defence, midfield, centre attacking midfield. He could play yeah, anywhere th- in, in, through through the middle. So, um, yeah, fantastic for them and, yeah, a great centre-back. And Dallas uh, at left-back, two goals against Derby, unfortunately, uh, for Leeds United, unfortunately <coughs> didn't get the job done for Leeds. Uh, in the <coughs> midfield, we've got Ollie Banks as our uh, CDM in this in this team. Two man-in-a-match performances over the playoffs. Rock solid, um, yeah, really, really underrated as well. Whilst he did take out those, those honours, um, I thought that he was just able to control the ball um, and on a quick transition with ball at feet or even even off the ball, um, he was just always an option and, and always um, just yeah playing his role exactly what he needed to do. Didn't didn't you know, exceed um, expectations by a lot, but um, just yeah, I thought it was just rock solid for them. And McGinn and Cullen as well. Yeah, look. Both players very similar, I thought, especially in the finals. Um, played fantastic roles. Cullen was was more of this controlling ball player throughout um, midfield, while McGinn gave a lot of great runs as well. I thought um, and and won a lot of 
tough battles against it. What is it? A, a strong, big bodied or bigger bodied against McGinn, um, Derby midfield, and even against West Brom as well. So, uh, yeah, those two in midfield was, would certainly be a, a strong partnership. And up front, we had Wilson, Marriott, and Al Ghazi. Yeah, Al Ghazi, obviously, a, 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 not an obvious one, but he, he just you have so much threat um, last night and even over the, the first two games against West Brom. Um, Marriott. Uh, probably just replaces an, a, a, no, a no obvious number nine. I didn't think that you know, your Abrahams, um, a, a Rodriguez or a Gale really stood out. Um, I didn't think that Norwood probably played at his best. Um, Eamon, another one. Lotel probably played two out wide and, and didn't stand up for them. Um, Marquise for Doncaster was all right. But yeah, I think no obvious number nine gives Marriott that spot in, in the centre of the attack. We're going to take a break now and we'll be back to preview the Europa League and Champions League finals. Plus, we'll talk about Newcastle United's possible new owner. Welcome back to the English Football Show right here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Uh, Of course, if you'd like to get in contact with us, you can at EF underscore show on Twitter or at uh, English Football Show on Facebook. Next week will be our last episode of the year. So if you want to get in contact with us and let us know. Of the season, not the year. Of the season, yes, it's that's only true. June. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll come back. <laughs> but uh, if you want to get in contact and let us know about anything, uh, if you like Tim or not, then yeah. <laughs> uh, let us know. Fire but, away, guys. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll begin with the Europa League and Tim's Arsenal are taking on Chelsea in Baku. Yeah. Um, Chelsea, I guess the, the main talking point heading into this game is whether this will be Maurizio Sarri's last ever match at Chelsea and also the injury crisis with Angola Kante going down for knee injury at training earlier this week and in doubt for the final. But on the other side as well, Arsenal, can they win their first uh, European Cup major, trophy, major yeah. trophy of all time and, and whether they can get that Champions League spot? Yeah, that's true and... With Emery as manager, he has had success uh, in the Europa League, so that certainly works in their favour. But also, Mkhitaryan will not be playing due to those circumstances relating his safety, which I think is no good at all. Yeah, it's, that's a massive step up by FIFA, whoever's in charge. Obviously, look, there are things outside of of football that, that are hard to control, especially when it is political and, and something like <clears throat> what uh, Mkhitaryan has to face, um, unable to to uh, attend Azerbaijan. But, um, yeah, look, this has just been a, a massive problem um, and it, it's something that we did have, what was it, last season as well in the Europa League when you, I think you've had your group match against... Ah, uh, yes, uh, Carab... Yeah, I think it might be Carabag. But, yeah. Um, yeah, look, I think, yeah, this is a huge problem. You talk about, obviously, Unai Emery as well. This is pretty much his competition the last six or seven years with uh, Sevilla as well. Um, and, yeah, he, he's... He's, he knows this this, uh, this game far too well. Um, and look, as for Surrey, I think I don't think it'll be his last game. But these are two managers who I think have had a fantastic season for for their clubs. Um, Arsenal disappointing in the Premier League, yes, but with a new manager um, and, and restricted um, revenue coming in for for the playing group, um, I think they've done great to where they've gotten to and a Europa League final and potential Champions League. Um, qualification on the lines, it's going to be huge for, for the Gunners. How are Arsenal going to defend Eden Hazard? Um, 
we've we've seen them struggle this season uh, at the back Arsenal, but and with Hazard, this is probably going to be his final game at Chelsea, so he's going to be up for it. What do they need to do to make sure that they can defend him? Pray. <laughs> Don't put Mustafi. Get, get that Charlton fan. <laughs> There were a few uh, Arsenal fans on Twitter that were hoping that Mustafi also got a ban. Um, <laughs> he was, scored a cracker at training though. So. He did? Yeah. Okay, so he might be up for yeah, it. It was an own goal, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine um, he, he scores the only goal of Mustafi and wins it for Arsenal. Imagine like a that. company banger from outside the box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, <clears throat> we know that Arsenal's defense defensive woes have been the, the biggest talking point. From the season, um, interesting to see how they line up. You know, the injuries aren't going to add to an already depleted or or weak um, back four, or however Unai will line up um, against Chelsea. But yeah, look, I think Hazard's certainly going to be that 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 main talking point, uh, especially early on. I expect him to fire early. Um, I'm tipping a Chelsea win. I think it's going to be a dramatic game, nonetheless. Um, even maybe an Olivier Giroud header against his former club to to to, to win it. Unfortunately, Tim, but what do you celebrate? Oh, he'd have to. Adebayor, I think he'd have to. Yeah. I'm maybe not as uh, on the scale of Adebayor, but I think he'd be a very you've happy man. You've got to man. celebrate a final. Yeah, <laughs> if you I, score the winning goal in a final, you've got to celebrate. But it's against his old team. But we'll see so, what happens. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. So as as for Arsenal, yeah, I think Mustafi's going to be starting. Um, Koscielny playing. Uh, Ballerin's still injured, I believe, or in doubt at least. Um, yeah, they oh, Ballerin won't come back in. No, um, but. Look, uh, it's yeah, like we said, it's a depleted side that they're really going to have to back their midfield. No Ramsey as well is obviously a massive out, so heavily relying on a on a um, more uncharacteristic Arsenal midfield than what we've seen this season. But look, you, you can back in the strikers as well. Their last eight goals in the, in the in this competition have become four each from Lacazette and Aubameyang. So. They've got the firepower up front, and let's just hope that it, that good attack does lead to good defense. A lot, a lot of players that you mentioned were also out in the semi, and they got the job done pretty well uh, against Valencia. I think it was in Spain, especially the second leg was such a good performance. So if they can replicate that one, then I think they're a good chance. Yeah, it's going to be interesting as well to see how Chelsea line up in midfield. If Kante doesn't start, or if he's not fit enough to play, then I'm, I'm sure it'll probably just end up being Jorginho, Kovacic, and Ross Barkley playing there. Um, our predictions, I'm going to go with a... I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to go Arsenal victory. I reckon they're going to do it. The Gunners are going to do it. They're finally going to win a European trophy. I'm not going to jinx it, so I'm going to say Chelsea... Uh, Penalties? Penal- I reckon just normal extra time, but it'll go to extra time, I think, yeah. I'm tipping 2-1 Chelsea. All right, let's go to the Champions League and the big match that is Liverpool and Tottenham uh, at the Wanda Stadium. This is going to be an interesting clash. Uh, we talk about the injury to Kante and whether he'll be playing in the Europa League. Well, the big talking point is whether Harry Kane will start or will he play for Tottenham. Do we expect him to start play? And if he does, does he start or does he come off the bench? He came, he came out and said yesterday that if, if the final was on last night, he'd be playing. So that's, you know, I guess, all the news you need to hear. He's not the one making the selection. He has been out for a while and... Yeah, look, this is going to be an absolute um, selection headache for Pochettino, who who makes way for Harry Kane if he is to start a lot. Probably you're leaning on Lucas Moura, who was the hat trick hero, and um, <clears throat> and I think that it is probably the right move, especially if this game is you know prolongs past ninety. Um, he'd be a fantastic sub on, but the the front four I think for Tottenham has to be your Eriksen, Kane, um, Son, and Dali Ali. 
Um, so using Lucas as a, as a, as that super sub type will probably um, be the scenario come come the weekend. But it'll be interesting who's the better fit for Van Dyke. Does Kane able to to not necessarily run him off his legs for for a majority of the game? Because we do know that um, Van Dyke has this um, capacity to, to you know just be this nonstop running machine um, at centre defence. But yeah, Lucas Moura would certainly be I think a bigger bigger threat against the the Dutchman. Um, yeah. As for their midfield as well, um, actually both midfield matchups will be interesting. Who plays? I think Wanyama Sissoko would have to be playing in that midfield for Tottenham. Uh, I don't think Winks will find too much game time if he is ruled fit. Um, and then as for Liverpool, it should be pretty straightforward. I think Fabinho, Genie, Wijnaldum and Henderson will probably be that starting three. Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing. I was <laughs> going to actually raise that because in, in, the, in the game against Barcelona, we they had uh, Henderson, Milner and Fabinho and then Wijnaldum came on. But if you look at their recent performances against Tottenham, Wijnaldum started both games against Tottenham with, and most likely will be Henderson and Fabinho. Also with Tottenham, will they go with the five at the back or three at the back with two um, wing-backs, that is? Uh, they, they did that in their last fixture against Liverpool and they did pretty well against them until later on when Sulla scored the winner. And if you look back, go back to that game that they won one last season, they also used the five at the back. I think you have to go five at the back. I think that with <clears throat> the weakness on Trippier versus Mane, Trippier's going to need an extra hand um, just with, with with his current run of form um, and obviously Mane's season to date um, being you know ridiculously um, <clears throat> just, just destroying right back after right back. So, um, yeah, Trippier um, will certainly need that hand. I think they push with the five and have that extra centre Centre back, um, helping him out <coughs> on that right side. Uh, Tim, does last year's uh, Champions League final play on the minds of Liverpool and particularly Mohamed Salah? Possibly, but I think uh, their finishing second in the Premier League would have probably a, a bigger effect. Just knowing they had they finished with so many points yet didn't win it, and I think that, that will fire them up this week, and that's why I think they will be victorious. Divock Origi, does he start ahead of Firmino after his performance in the in against Barcelona? No, no. You gotta back Bobby. Um I think yeah, he's he'll he'll start um in the number nine spot if well, next best case is I think Origi will probably likely come on if needed. Um but <coughs> I'm backing Liverpool in for for a dominant display. Two nil, three nil, um all over the Spurs. It'll be interesting to see if, if Gomez replaces Matip now he's fit. Um there's, there's just another option as well for Liverpool if the, a late sub is required. Um, yeah, look, Klopp, it's his third chance at a UCL title. He had what, Dortmund in 2013 and yeah, against Real Madrid last year for Liverpool. So he'll be um, you know, throwing everything he can at this game. Alexander-Arnold likely to become the first ever player uh, I think under 21 to start consecutive UCL finals as well. So big game for him to... Um, yeah, to certainly counter, you know, the, the likes of Son and and Kane, if he if they are do, or if they do move that ball out wide to to Alexander Arnold's right side. So, um, yeah, the uh, I'm yeah I'm tipping a Liverpool win, probably three nil. Well, Firmino does look in good. He does look in pristine condition, and his teeth are wider than I've ever seen. Um, I expect that Liverpool will come away with the victory as well. I think it'll be a comfortable victory, and they'll get it done in the first half. I'm going to go with a three nil win. <coughs> As well, uh, we'll move on to some Premier League news and big news coming out now that uh, Newcastle United uh, seem to be uh, 
uh, have agreed terms with Sheikh Khalid bin Zayed Al Nahayan, also known as Bobby. Uh, <laughs> he, they've agreed terms for him to buy the club from Mike Ashley. Um, uh, one of his managing directors of the Bin Zayed Group issued a statement Monday afternoon confirming the talks and that they have agreed uh, to the sale. Well, that's I th- so that's good news for Newcastle fans. Uh, in the past few years, they've complained about uh, their owner not allocating any money for them to sign any players. Well, it looks like now they finally have their time. Yeah, look, there's there's always the, they've had always the troubles with Mike Ashley, and and they just really wanted out. This is certainly a helping hand for them. A lot of money will come through if if it's the case. There's supposed to be, I think, a big announcement as of Friday or Saturday our time, but. Um, yeah, look, it's it's um, massive for these fans. Oh, it's it's the way modern football's going at the moment. These new ownerships that will turn a club around, or, or it, it's not necessarily a, a turning a Newcastle around per se. They've already got a massive fan base, um, a great stadium. Um, it's just yeah, the the money restrictions um, will be uh, a huge difference for them, and we could certainly see them starting as. A, as a, a top threat in the Premier League next season. He's he's the cousin of the Manchester City owner. Is that right, Tim? Uh, I saw on Twitter Adam Peacock said he's a distant, distant relative. Yep. So, so he's related. Links related. there, but yeah, a little rivalry going on then, which would yeah, be Yeah, it would be good, but I don't know. I, football's an inclusive sport where we, we want... No racism. We don't. Uh, we want everyone equal. We want men and women to be able to play this game. Everything like that. But we're bringing in these 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 owners from countries where they don't allow democracy. They don't allow people the the freedom of speech. Um, it's just it's a it's a tricky area. I'm I'm happy to see Newcastle with money to spend, and they deserve success. Because if you look go back into the Premier League history. If you talk about the Premier League football in the 90s, the three teams that you talk about are Arsenal, Manchester United and Newcastle United. They're the three big ones that everyone remembers. But I don't like seeing these types of the, the Sheiks and, and those people coming into football. It's just not right, in my opinion, with what's going on in their countries. But again, I guess everyone's... We, you're going to have these kind of people back in in football and buying clubs. Yeah, it's 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 inevitable now. I think, um, and it, it it can certainly do wonders for a club, which is like you said, it's fantastic to see, and it would be great to see Newcastle back towards the top of the table in the Premier League. Um, and it, this could just be the way that a lot of football's heading. Um, and if we do, uh, the, the the one problem a lot of people have also brought up is do eventually get twenty teams like these. Where they're all getting you know, this like run through of money, um, and that certainly will separate the top division to the championship as well, which would be a massive problem. Well, not um, just in English football. If you compare it to the Spanish league, there was a stat that came out this week, and it was Huddersfield. Their TV revenue this year would have been would have put them third in the La Liga for, for terms of TV revenue, behind Real Madrid and Barcelona. Yeah, exactly. It's um, the comparison between you know certain. Or different leagues in, in different countries is is ridiculous, and English football is you know head and shoulders above the rest. But um, yeah, the, the money being made um, it, it just continues to grow. This is like the, the biggest game in in the world, and there's going to be a lot of money coming through for each club, and they they will need up. You know, and each club's going to battle for that stability in the in the top flight one way or another. And this is the way that um, Newcastle will will certainly I think will be given that hand. Um, and look, it, it's massive for the club. The fans, I think, are going to be quite ecstatic. It, it's, it's certainly going to be a, a testing time for the club, nonetheless. But 
um, yeah, it's going to be a, uh, interesting to see how that how this pushes out. I think with all this money coming into football and these teams getting bigger, we're getting closer to a super super league. That's what I think is going to happen. And uh, shortly, if we continue on with this kind of financing. Um, well, that's it for the English Football Show this week. Next week will be our last episode for the season. So we've got a lot ahead. Tim, what's some stuff that we've got on the show next week? Well, we will... Uh, we'll talk about our ma- major talking points of English football. Uh, major <coughs> major talking points. So, guys, if uh, any of you guys want to send through some of your big talking points or star players or teams or for hi- the season. Highlights of the season. Highlights as well, as well. yep. Anything else, Mitch? Yeah, well, obviously, I think we'll probably be talking about the, the, the Champions League and Europa League, uh, our own reviews. Uh, we'll probably try and get someone in as well into the studio to have some more expert analysis. And we'll look for a roving reporter, maybe from a Villa fan, if, if there are any out there that we'll be happy to call up for the show. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll have a few guests on next week, I would hope. Yep, that's it for the English Football Show this week. Uh, we'll be back same time next week. So we'll catch you again after the Champions League and Europa League finals.